Welcome to the Take 92 Podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host. And today we're doing a special episode. This is out of order. 64 hasn't aired yet. But we're doing 65 and it's going to come out early. So I am obviously, if you know me at all, a huge Batman fan. And there was a very relevant movie that just came out that everyone's been talking about. And I decided instead of jumping on this that I was going to sit on that for a minute and really think about it. And I decided to bring on another big film fan, my friend Brian, to talk about it. What's up? How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I'm a film fan. I really enjoy movies, even ones that people talk about a lot. I like exploring polarizing movies because I like seeing, one, where I stand, but two, like, what exactly it is that people are saying they love about it or things that they, they absolutely despise about it. So you've done extensive research on, like, Gigli and... You know, <laughs> That's right, yeah. Jersey Girl and... No, I, I, the, I did. The middle I, Ben Affleck years that no one talks about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but... <laughs> um, no, I don't think I started paying much attention to Ben Affleck until he made Argo. And then that, like, kinda, the that kind of blew up. And I'm like, yeah, Ben Affleck. I knew, I mean, that's what I learned. Like, oh, yeah, pre-Argo Affleck. That was like the, the OG Lee, uh, Daredevil, you know, times. And then post that, I was like, oh, he makes movies. And, oh, people seem to care that he's not... Uh, he wasn't recognized by the Academy that year. So like, yeah, yeah, I think I'll take him seriously. And then a few years down the line, it sort of dissipated a little bit. Well, he but got I mean, really tied up doing Batman. Yeah. You know? I mean, he was, it doesn't seem like it because he never had a solo Batman feature, but I mean, he was in three different films as that character. And so I think the only thing he squeezed out in the middle of that was live by night. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I knew him from mall rats and then like chasing Amy and, and you know, Jane Silent Bob and stuff. Um, which by the way, we went to that reboot the other night, best yeah. scene in the whole movie. Oh yeah. Um, and then obviously, uh, uh, goodwill hunting, but yeah. Um, when he did, and I can't remember which was first. I feel like the town was first, but they were right around the same time. The, the town and Argo back to back was just like, Holy Fucking shit! Yeah. Like he's killing it. And then I, w- I decided like I want to dig back a little bit. And then uh, I really like changing lanes with him and Sam Jackson. Mm-hmm. And uh, that other one, um, Gone Baby Gone. Um, I mean, he's he's so many of those titles shit. you've listed have just gone right over my head. Like I really, I, I know a lot of these movies. I know he directed. Have you seen Gone the town? Gone. I I own the town. <laughs> I haven't seen the town. Okay, I think the, my mom has seen the town. The town I seriously put up there with like Heat. It's such a good heist movie. Uh-huh. I don't know. Me personally, the only thing I could possibly slight Heat for is getting bogged down with subplot, mm-hmm. like particularly the the De Niro love interest thing. Just kind of like they could have done that in one scene because it was just to establish that he always says, you know, like don't have anything you can't walk away from in a second. You know, like. With the heat comes or whatever. Is this the point they which done that. I break your heart again and tell you I also haven't seen heat? What the fuck? <laughs> Here I am. We literally started Mr. the show. Film school? But yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody will tell me that. I'm oh saying, like, I'm God. going to school for film, studying film, and they always say one thing. Like, have you seen this one movie? Like, one I of didn't my, even say that. I, I assumed. I right, right. I exactly. Mean, it's it's, oh it's based off of an assumption, but... Um, one of one of my managers from work, uh, I told you know I talked to him about uh, some of my how I was studying film. He's like, yeah. "Oh, have you seen a uh, Weird Science?" 
Like, actually, I haven't seen. No, Weird I, Science. I haven't seen yeah. Weird Science because he he was playing uh, Oingo Boingo in at, at work, and mm-hmm. they did the theme song for that movie, and so that sparked that conversation. I was like, no, I've never seen it. He was like, you call yourself a film major? You've never seen Weird Science? Yeah, I mean, I I so try like, not to do that to people of like, you know, I'm a punk rocker who doesn't listen to Black Flag and Circle mm-hmm. Jerks and whatever. You know, it's like I people have their own tastes, whatever. Right. But also, yeah. it's not. I'm I'm not saying I haven't seen these films as like a refusal to see these movies. Yeah. It's just I haven't I haven't seen these movies. I have you know. I I like to think I have a pretty open palette for a lot of kinds of different movies, but some I just haven't gotten around to yet. I have a whole watch list, uh, you know, of movies that I haven't watched yet. That I I'm just, just gotta... going to keep you here until like 6 in the morning <laughs> to name one movie that you mentioned that I've seen. No, we're just going to watch them <laughs> in in order. For, uh, the, well, now the, we, first, we have to watch Heat, and then we have to watch The Town. Like uh, the hot fuzz, like all right, you got the you got <laughs> heat, heat, gone, baby, gone. Which do I prefer? No, which one do you want to watch first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually did that once to uh, my friend Eric Munch. We were making, I think it was the first Stolen Songs record where I make uh, cover songs, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like 2008. And we were talking about Goodfellas, and I said something about like, oh yeah, like that Pesci in that scene in Casino, or whatever. And he's like, oh, I never saw that one, and I was like. We're done for the day. And we, we went inside and we watched Casino and just stopped recording for the rest of the day. Because I was like, no, you have to you have to go see this. It's like three hours, so like we're done. But like I'm just going to stop making my record so you can see this right now. And, uh, <laughs> what would you say that was? Good good fellas? <laughs> no, it was Casino. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. I've, I've, I've seen Good Fellas. I haven't watched Casino yet. What? God, again. again. I, okay, so I've, uh, I've... Maybe you can help me with this. So I'm trying to figure out like... Uh, the set, trying to set the path for how I want to watch movies I haven't watched before. And I tried doing it this month by introducing myself to a bunch of horror movies that I haven't watched before. And so I yeah. tried to do like, oh, I'd listed 31 different horror movies that I want to try to get watched by, by November. Sure, October. It's perfect time. Yeah, I said I definitely just said November. Yeah, uh, well, no, you said <laughs> by November. That's, okay, that's okay. a great, great excuse okay. to do that. Yeah. yeah, perfect. I didn't make a mistake. Um, <laughs> but... <clears throat> So I tried doing it like maybe by genre. Then I thought, okay, maybe if I just try to uh, uh, finish up filmographies of people I'm aware of, like I, I like doing that. Yeah, you know, like you get on a on a a loop of someone of like, oh shit, and they were in this one, and they were in this one, and they were in this one. And, yeah, exactly. And, and you I, notice like I love doing you know that. just little like nuances. Like you actually can I can actually talk about performance where I've seen like more than one Ben Affleck movie, you know, or more yeah. than one like I've almost seen all the Tarantino movies. I've almost seen. What you, a, wait, what are you missing in Tarantino? I'm only missing uh, Jackie Brown, and Jackie Brown's a weird one too. Yeah, like, but, it, but I would compare that most to the newest one because it's a it's such an anomaly. Mm-hmm. And then I guess I mean if you count if you want to count um, Death Proof, I've watched. Oh, you haven't seen Death Proof? No, I didn't. Did I would see Planet Terror. Uh uh-uh. Oh man, I, I saw Grindhouse three times in the theater. The double. <laughs> That's not. It was like nine and a half hours worth of. <laughs> Of, it was uh, so fun though and they had killing. all the fake trailers before and in between and it, yeah man Grindhouse was like the coolest shit look, look I watched a bunch of the look at that oh yeah yeah I got the fucking framed uh, I watched a bunch there. of the trailers that are in the middle of it the yeah Thanksgiving and don't yeah um, machete, machete obviously yeah yeah. and so I try to figure out like how like how far I want to do that because you know first I could do like um, okay, who are people that I've seen like a bunch of movies from, like yeah. Coen Brothers or like Spielberg or you know? I just fin- I just there's only I think there's only one director that I've actually seen every single movie of theirs, and that's Mel Brooks. Oh, he's made like eleven or twelve movies. I definitely have not. There's one movie that I just that I was that I was missing. It was called The Twelve Chairs. It's a really, it's it's very uh, 
uh, different kind of Mel Brooks movie. He made it was a second movie after the producers, and mm-hmm. it has um, uh, Frank Langella, and um, he's in it for like a little bit, and it's it's a really interesting movie. But uh, yeah, that was that after I watched that, I was like, okay, now I can I feel like I can confidently talk about like you know Mel Brooks ad nauseum. You know, yeah. like oh, I you know I think. Yeah, I think Young Frankenstein is he's a masterpiece, but I think Blazing Saddles is still my favorite. I think uh, you know, Silent Movie is is very underrated as a as a 70s comedy, but yeah. uh, you know, I just want to be able to have be able to uh to have up, the context back up a lot of opinions I might have cuz you know, I can still have an opinion on like Scorsese, but yeah. I don't have a fuller opinion because I don't cuz I haven't seen a lot of other movies. Well, like, and Scorsese is really relevant to this conversation. I'm curious what have you seen from Scorsese? What have you seen from David Fincher? Because I feel like those are relevant to Yeah, I, I actually a pretty, I mean, a, a good amount, enough to be able to talk about things in this in this podcast. I've seen Taxi Driver. Yeah. I've seen The Departed. I've oh, seen, that, that's my favorite. I've seen The King of Comedy. Yeah. Um, Which is so funny that that's having a revival right now, because I, I watched it like six months ago after hearing that it was tied into this, and mm-hmm. I was like, this is weird like I, it's not the best but it it has some cool shit in it i remember being at a GameStop like 12 years ago maybe yeah. 13 years ago and they had a dvd of that and i'd never heard of the movie but i like picked it up because it had You're comedy like, i was like King of comedy i was like oh that's that's a very enticing title for someone at my age yeah so i look at it i was like oh this seems like a pretty interesting movie i'm, I'm this surprised looks funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> this seems like it's appropriate for my age and I just had never heard anything from it. And then about three years ago, I was in Mexico. I, didn't, I had a lot of downtime. So I was scrolling through Netflix. And I don't know if you know this, but Netflix in Mexico is very different from Netflix in the United States. I mean, there's, I imagine there's different licensing and permissions and yes, all that. But it's like, it's tremendous. They had like, it was basically like Disney Plus. They had like all the Star Wars movies, all the Marvel movies. Nice. Um, a lot more Adam Sandler movies that I recognized on uh, in Mexico Netflix than in U.S. Like yeah. just like things that I mean, not like hidden gem movies you never heard of, but like stuff that you just don't normally see streaming. Well, yeah, those three at the times time. are like okay, that's some of my favorite shit ever. So yeah, so I mean, <laughs> but it's, so and one of the things was on that was on there was King of Comedy. I'm like, okay, well, I have all day. I'm not gonna go and do anything, so I might as well just watch King of Comedy. And so I watched it, and yeah. you know, I I figured that out, and then um, you know, once this Joker. Once Joker was starting to, you know, started getting worked on and the trailer came out and people were making comparisons, I was like, oh, yeah. I get it. I get it. Uh, how about uh, how about David Fincher? David Fincher, I've seen Fight Club. I've yeah. seen Zodiac. Yeah. Social love- Network. Yeah. Love the Social Network. I own Gone Girl. You motherfucker. <laughs> and we're back to Ben I have, Affleck. I have, yeah, I haven't watched it Oh, my it God. Yet. Gone I feel Girl. Like there's one more. Gone Girl is like my... Mm, I don't want to say without looking at my... DVD rack, but Gone Girl, I want to say, is like probably my favorite. You know, just just standalone movie. One off. Yeah, yeah. Like my favorite one off (laughs) movie that's come out in fucking years. Like, uh, that that movie really got me. Like, it's rare that I go see a movie that's so good and I go buy the book and read it and then I go buy the DVD and watch it again. You know, like, yeah, yeah. It was one of those for me. You won't get tired of it. Yeah, exactly. You'll be like, oh, I feel like watching. Yeah, uh, my wife would give me shit like, like, Oh, you uh, gonna watch your favorite movie for the hundredth time? I was like, no, nah, I haven't. I think this is like the fifth time. You know, it's yeah. not that bad. It's kind of a gross movie to be obsessed with, but I just, <laughs> I just really like it. 
Fuck, I can't even talk to you about that then. God damn it. One of the problems I come with is there's so many movies that I have not seen, but there's so many movies that I have had kind of spoiled to me. Yeah. Um, so, like, I know certain beats of spoilers for Gone Girl, but, yeah. um, you Which know. Which is a shame. Yeah. That is a fucking I don't, shame. And I don't seek it. I don't seek these spoilers. It just well, sort yeah, of yeah. comes in. I sort of, I put two and two together. I'm like, oh, that's probably, that's probably how Gone Girl ends. Well, we were on our fucking... 20-year anniversary vacation in Hawaii when Joker came out, mm -hmm. and I'm seeing everyone on social media posting about this shit, and I'm like, dude, we have to go, or this is going to get ruined for me. Yeah. Like, fucking Endgame got spoiled for me Oh, the day of the fucking showing. Like, spoiler alert, if you're really behind and you haven't seen Endgame, I'm going to drop that shit right now. Some dude posted on his Facebook wall, Iron Man and Black Widow die. Mm -hmm. Like, delete me, fuck you, whatever. And I was like, you piece of fucking shit. And I called him a piece of shit, and I did delete him. I fuck that. I don't normally delete people on Facebook that often, but yeah, that, one of the more recent times I did was straight up just because they spoiled Force Awakens, and I did not know. You haven't seen Force no, Awakens? No, no, no. Well, this was when it came, when it came out oh, before, before oh, I'd seen it. Yeah, yeah. But his only post, it just says, okay, spoiler alert for the biggest yeah, domestic yeah. movie of all time. Um, <laughs> it, was, it, it just said, like, uh, it, I think it just said Han Solo dies, mm -hmm. and I read that first as like, okay, well, you know, you could just say anything and just, you know, you to fuck with people and be like, oh, everybody dies, you know. And like, I've seen this other dies. people say that shit, and I'll be, like, God damn it, and, and I go like, to the movie and it's wrong. And I'm like, oh, no, good. yeah, I uh, that that was my experience with uh, Infinity War. I like saw a whole list of people that was like, they die, they die, they die. And I'm like, oh, You're like why'd great. you show me this? And then I go see, and then I go see Infinity War. I'm like, oh, that was just a total troll move. <laughs> like that wasn't real at all. Yeah. But I uh, then I so I said to myself, okay, well, I'm gonna go see Force Awakens. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna take what what this post is with a grain of salt. And I see it, and then fucking Han Solo dies. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So I deleted him. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. It was bitch. also a person I, I honestly don't even think I knew. Yeah. But like, it was just some. Yeah, it's always some asshole you haven't talked to in yeah. five years. You're like, oh, great. That's. I'm so glad that I didn't unfollow you years ago. Yeah, lately I've been a little more vigilant in avoiding spoilers <laughs> and knowing, like, before something comes out, like, all right, when am I going to see it and how long am I going to have before I can yeah, dude, even I'm, open I'm to Twitter. the extent where, like, with the way binge watching is. I don't even follow the TV shows I like mm -hmm. on social media. Yeah. Because if you follow, you know, House of Cards, for example, and it's been out for three days, they'll just start posting shit. Oh, yeah. You know, Netflix shows, they expect you are caught up, you know. I had to hop on El Camino, like, right away when it dropped. Same thing, yeah. And then uh, the next morning, when I thought I was going to, well, when I watched it, I was like, oh, I'll just watch, like, ten minutes of it, and I'll go to bed. Because it was, like, because it was midnight, and I had to be up early. I ended up just watching the whole thing, and yeah. then I went to bed. I got up the next morning. I just opened my phone, look at like trending topics on El Camino, open it. First thing it was like a big spoiler. Yeah, I'm like, oh well, glad I. It, it's that fast. Yeah, like, part of it is because I'm like such a fan. I've always been the guy who like used to go to the midnight premieres, and oh, yeah. you know now I always still go to the Thursday night previews, and and I really want to check things out right away. I get excited from mm -hmm. first trailers and and casting announcements and whatever. But like the other part of it is because I'm invested and I care that much, I have to shield myself from that bullshit by just jumping in it like yeah. right away, e even if I'm in a fucking other state on a vacation with my wife and she doesn't want to go. I go, hey, I, we didn't go tonight. We have to go tomorrow. We have yeah. to go tomorrow. It's imperative that, yeah. we, that I just 
Like, I'm sorry, I've been a fan of this character since I was four. Mm-hmm. We have to go now. This is, you know, <laughs> this is my fucking thing. Yeah. Well, and she loves going to it, but it was just like, didn't, not yeah, feeling it. Doesn't it doesn't have the level that, of enthusiasm. For the, 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 yeah, the Hawaii vacation of her dreams. <laughs> yeah, like, can we not, just spend some time here in Hawaii? Hawaii? So all that aside, I don't know how fucking long we've already been talking, <laughs> but um, I just wanted to start with, um, you know, kind of what we're talking about in the... Uh, the films that it kind of reminded me of the things I had elements of, you know, everyone saying taxi driver and King of comedy, which great jumping off point, valid points. Yeah. I think a lot of taxi driver is the setting. Yeah. Like look Um, at this muck of a town. Yeah. And this person who is very much a product of that setting, Mm -hmm. who's the loner, who's kind of just, slowly unwinding and seeking like validation through um a violent act yeah. as a way for like getting maybe in the sense of tax driver notoriety yeah or in the case with the joker just sort of chaos or just like yeah i think it's less up. less thought out there's not necessarily a goal there it's yeah. more just reacting to things you mm-hmm. know it's not a character that um necessarily makes a plan and you know it's, yeah. it's like in the dark night do i look like a guy with a plan right you know? um and then obviously king of comedy you have uh de niro playing the host reversing his role of uh was it rupert rupert pupkin yeah Pumpkin? which is a hilarious yeah. name <laughs> um yeah reversing his role in that situation which i thought was clever and you know <laughs> to do it some 30 years later is you yeah. know perfect now that he's aged into that mm. uh you know what was typically a gray-haired you know guy yeah sitting behind the, the bench age, not just, so much just these making days. jokes about rats yeah, yeah yeah which by the way did you notice on the second viewing that they show one of those giant fucking rats like uh uh it walks, in- it, wa- it walks around the corner Murray Franklin, De Niro's character, mentions it in his monologue, and then shortly after that, there's like somebody standing on the corner, and it's right in the beginning of the scene. You see this big, like fucking possum-sized rat oh. just run around the corner. I real think quick. they did another one too. In really? the, I thought it maybe I'm misremembering, <clears throat> but in the shot at the very end, uh, when they show the uh, the shot of Bruce Wayne with his parents in the alley, oh, behind him there's like a, there's like a like way behind him, there's like a big visible yeah. rat running behind him. I didn't notice that one. Uh, one of my big notes was something I haven't really figured out yet is just the what what's with the rats? Like super rats. Uh, I'm not really sure what that is supposed to mean. If it's supposed to mean anything, or if it's. I like, mean, it's just sort of to uh, illustrate how weirdly livable of a place Gotham City is. That's hard to say. I mean, we're gonna be. I'll just say for the listeners now, I don't know how to do this without gratuitous spoilers. So if you haven't seen Joker and you care about that, I'd stop it now. I'm assuming by this point, if you're a fan of the genre, you have seen it and you just wanted to hear our take on it. So I would say that most of my notes are under the category of real or not real. Mm -hmm. The super rats might play into that in terms of, what is fantasy? Because if you think about, they were on the news, and then they were joked about in the hallucination, mm-hmm. um, the Murray Franklin monologue. Yeah, another just another thing that's sort of 
kind of shouted out throughout the movie that's reminiscent of of the two De Niro Scorsese movies is just these hallucinations, these kind of uh, fantasies that yeah. that Arthur is having, where he's like on the show and he's or he's killing it in the at Pogos or yeah, you know, just or just an an entire character. I think that from the outside. This movie is like Taxi Driver meets, meets King of Comedy, but when you start to really unravel it and 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 peel back the layers, it's got a lot more Fight Club, mm-hmm. American Psycho, even like American Beauty. Mm-hmm. If you, in in terms of the main character is hallucinating and daydreaming and bringing you into his head, so you're going from reality into the guy's head, and so you'll have a scene that is normal. And then, like, in American Beauty, you start to see the fucking rose petals, and they're like, this is not fucking real, you know? Mm. Um, Just as, like, um, you know, and that was their whole metaphor for appearances in that movie. But I rewatched Fight Club this weekend as well, and um, there are great little cues throughout that movie, like Tyler is with Marla at night. In the morning, the narrator is back to... Jack or whatever you want to call him back to himself you know and and a lot of the things that Tyler does are at night and they've established in the beginning of this movie he's an insomniac and that uh you know reality like am I awake am I asleep the line is starting to blur and so I mean they give so much to you right up front Mm -hmm. and you just don't see it yeah yeah and and I think that that's one of the great things that that gives those movies replay value yeah you know or like American Psycho of of him doing these heinous things and like he's you know confessing to these crimes and like what crime like what you know what are you talking about you know Mm -hmm. and so joker the more you look at it is actually more akin to some of these other movies right than it is death wish right I i think actually death wish is really interesting because that was a movie i thought of in the subway scene the Wall Street guys. Yeah, the Wall Street guys. His first real act of violence. Yeah, start fucking with him, and, and um, he commits those murders. And it reminded me of Death Wish and also the, I don't know if you'd call it a remake or just like a reimagining of it, but The Brave One with Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah. Both of those movies are the same premise of like suffered a personal tragedy, you know, get a gun to defend yourself, kind of go down the vigilante path. But they both have that subway scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it, and it's so unnerving, and it's so uncomfortable. And the way it plays out, like in those other movies, you feel like it's wrong, but there's also, like, they are the protagonist, and there's some sort of righteousness in like them fighting back and yeah. the, these people are coming to attack them you know you're so, left with one option, so even though like, they're in a way baiting it just by going out there and trolling the night you know yeah that you you're a little more on their side a little bit but when i was watching this the first viewing when that scene finished i'm like holy shit this is like a really hyper realistic version of that scene because i i the whole time through it, I'm just like, this is fucked. This is wrong. Yeah. Like, there's nothing pleasant about this. I'm not enjoying this. In, like, the first instance, it's like, you know, they're 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 kicking him. They're, you know, they're bullying him. And in the he, alleyway? He, in the beginning? In, sorry, in the in the subway scene where they're, like, they're attacking him. Oh, and, yeah. And he uses, and he shoots him in self-defense. Yeah. But then 
he's just chasing the last guy. Yeah. He's like just really like it's really like he liked it. Taking over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's he feels no remorse and no you know, his first time, you know, um his first time killing someone, his first two times killing someone, he doesn't doesn't feel it and he's like he's desensitized to it instantly. Yeah. And then he takes that and that's sort of a big turning and, point. Yeah, and I think it's it's different because it's not some big tough guy mugger you know yeah. they painted them as you know everyday suit and tie commuters mm-hmm. and so there's something just easy about a clear villain getting shot on screen yeah and you you know again it's like the dark knight where it's like you know if a truck full of soldiers gets blown up nobody bats an eye because it's all part of the plan you know yeah so they're kind of taking that idea and going yeah well what if the joker does these things in a very real normal setting mm-hmm. you know then then how do you feel about it you know right and it definitely changes the tone and and like you said hearing the guy uh or, or the, the guy who was running off you know and you hear him uh, you know, moaning and whimpering or whatever, and he just walks up and ex- executes him. It's 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 a whole other thing. For oh sure. yeah, and then just like kind of punctuated with all of his everything he does. Uh, one of my notes was I noticed how every time he commits an act of violence, either in the same room or immediately the next scene, he's dancing. Yeah. Yeah. He go after the subway killing. He goes and he dances by himself in the in the bathroom after after the subway. Yeah, after the subway. Um, and then after and then I'm pretty sure the sequence when he when he stabs his old coworker. Yeah, that's right, when he dances down the stairs. He dances down the stairs. The and it it helps me understand like the very very last shot of the movie when mm. when it's not really uh, told to you whether he killed the um, the psychiatrist person. Yeah, yeah, but you know because you don't see it, you you have questions. But you yeah. know you see the blood on his shoes, and then he at the very end of when he walks down the hall. He has a little performative um, spin around after yeah. he after he shoots Murray Franklin. He yeah, you know he dances off the steps, kind of dances. He kind of just does a little. It's all you and, know, very and, and further on the car. Yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah, that answers another question for me of like his of the uh, the neighbor on whether or not like we know because all when when he walks into her yes. uh, apartment and just does nothing, and then um, the next shot we see is just him walking outside. He's not doing anything. Yeah, jubilant or. He's not dancing, which makes me think that I don't think he... That was one instance where I don't think he did anything. A reason I wanted to do this show is because there's so much being said about the movie. There was so much said about it and written about it before anyone even saw it. Mm -hmm. There's so much, like, political context. There's so much baggage just in, like, the time we live in. Mm -hmm. But I think if this movie was released in a different time you know, the, those conversations wouldn't exist or would be very different. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I mean, I get the people who are trying to, you know, call it some kind of statement, but, but really to me, again, like these other movies that we talked about, you know, American Psycho and Fight Club and stuff like that. I, I and, and, and Taxi Driver, I think that there's so much, merit in this by itself that's worthy of what the fuck did I just see you know and if you look at it just at face value or if you're only looking at the premise and writing your blog post on it you know I just feel like 
you're selling it short and you're missing a, a, a really great ex opportunity to have a good experience because this is the stuff that's interesting to me. It's like, right. you know, when I went to see The Matrix when I'm, you know, 14 and you're standing outside with your friends waiting for your mom to pick you up and you're all talking about like, whoa, what, you know, what just, you know, was this thing real? What, you know, and, and there's so much of that in this fucking movie mm. of showing you these little details like the dance or whatever and you're starting to piece together, okay, so then that means... That didn't happen, or this didn't, you know, right. and, and just, and the second viewing, I felt like it was even more confusing, because mm -hmm. the first time I had nothing, you know, and I was going in with just a, a gist of what the movie was going to be, and it was so tense and disgusting, and just like, I felt gross watching it, you know, like, it's not like there's violence through the whole movie, but, you know, when you watch a fucking Bruce Willis movie or something, it's much different than when... Uh, you're watching something that's like super grounded and realistic yeah. and, you know, and they make you feel it. Something that feels like it could like, feels more like something that could happen. Yeah. Or something that has happened. Yeah. And I think the timing of it, in fact, makes it more poignant because it's not, it's not apologizing for him. It's not rooting for him. It's not, at least I feel that way, that it's not like, oh, man, you see him fucking stab that guy in the eyeball? That was funny, you know? Yeah. Like, that was not funny. Um, there's There were certainly people in my theater when I saw it that kind of read it that way, and so it was, it was watching sort of being entertained by it and, like, uh, laughing at, at weird points, like, yeah. you know, be, someone being stabbed or um, shooting Murray Franklin or just, like, odd points where you're thinking you, you kind of get two different sides of the audience where you know you have one side who's watching it and really being affected by it yeah. going oh man that's that's really messed up but then the other half is like <laughs> oh isn't that great like in the the departed when at the beginning when she's like she, <laughs> she felt, felt funny. funny yeah you know you like, could Francis just, you really got to see someone <laughs> yeah you know i think it's it's emblematic of of that kind of uh response and that's what's kind of fascinating about these kinds of polarizing movies, which is that, you know, you two different people can read this in very, very different ways. And, yeah. you know. And I, I get that that is a concern, you know, when I, you know, I read some things about it going into it that I felt like, yeah, I don't want a movie to inspire these fucking monsters, you know, and I don't think that their goal is to sympathize with this i think and he's no different than the joker has ever been in terms of yeah. how cold and unforgiving you know it's just making it so real and really really for me the end of the first viewing when they're in the streets and it's after the car accident and shit is wild and i was like i felt like a physical need for batman Right. Because there is no, the, like, the reason it's so fucked up in this particular movie is just because there's no balance. There's no moral compass. It's all just skewed it's on this one all side. All in his head. And so yeah. there's no, like, <clears throat> there's no good and bad. Um, you're not able to. Good example is a, a movie called. Uh, why is it escaping me? I think it's called Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
that movie is so fucking intense um, that you'll be going to this scene and you're on the edge of your seat. You know, you feel like you're going to throw up or something. It's so intense. Yeah. And then it'll cut to Amy Adams in bed reading the book and she has to close the book. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And she's, she's representing the audience in this case of like, okay, let's take a break. Yeah, we need a, a breather. For and there's none respect. of that. You know, it's yeah. just, look, this is real. These people might be around you. Don't look away. Yeah. You know, and that, I think that's worth something. I don't think that you can throw that out as being celebrating this culture or something. I, th- I think it's going, well, uh, this is something that we like to get surprised about a lot. Mm. But is it, is it really that hard to believe, you know? Yeah. It's like in the sense of uh, talking about, like, war movies, you know? Yeah. A lot of people, like, there's, with every war movie that comes out, the question rises of, like, is this movie pro-war or is it anti-war? And... I think however you kind of answer that question, it might help you shape how you can view a movie that like this that, that asks questions or, or that uh, brings up a theme of like, you know, this is grounded in reality. Uh, this is kind of real stuff. It's just more under a, a, a guise that we're, you know, uh, this IP that we're a little familiar with. Because this yeah. movie is almost not even, it's almost not even... Uh, uh, like a comic book movie. I mean, I've, I've heard people make that argument that it's like, oh, it's just an excuse to get people in the seats. But, like, I, I'll go through my reasons why it's connected. But, like, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Um, I think it's <clears> like, <throat> it totally can be connected. There's lots of, uh, um, you know, hints or um, things yeah. that fans of Batman will, will recognize that maybe other people. But I also just won't. think it's true to the character. You right. Know, there's no giant leaps, really. And, you know, a, a lot of the reactions that people had when the film was announced was like, why? I was among them going, I love Joaquin Phoenix. He's one of the best actors alive. Yeah. But what are you doing, Warner Brothers? You know, like, it didn't make any sense to me that, okay, so you are killing off half the DCEU. You're continuing with... Harley in Birds of Prey. You're continuing with Wonder Woman. You're continuing with Aquaman. All those movies getting sequels. While Batman is out, Superman is unknown to this day. Yeah. You've already announced the Matt Reeves reboot. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to do a standalone in a different universe. I'm like, so you simultaneously. That you just did three years ago. That you just did. And as far as we know, is in current continuity because mm-hmm. Birds of Prey is coming out. Right. And there's references to him in the fucking press for it. So yeah. it's like, okay, wh- why that do we have three? in the trailer as a trailer for Joker. Which actually I was disappointed. I did not see a Birds of Prey trailer oh. in my Joker showings. I got one. Um, but uh, I thought that that was really weird that they're going to start a third yeah, I mean, it's not unheard of in comics. There's a lot of different versions. I'm always a person who's a proponent of like, yeah, okay, well, you know, that series ended, but let's let's do it again. Let's do it see again. another Run new it take again. on it. You know, let's let's take it in a different direction. You know, I like that, but it felt like so soon. But then, as you're watching it, you know, you think of 
I mean, Todd Phillips used the words unreliable narrator in, in, in relation to Arthur Fleck. And I thought that was great. It's one of my and, notes. Yeah. And I, and so I knew that. And in thinking of like the dark Knight, you know, you want to know how I got these scars, you know, and it's always a different story. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at, uh, what was the quote from the killing joke? He said, sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another, if I'm going to have a past, I prefer it multiple choice, mm. you know? And, and I think people were mad because, well, we don't need a Joker origin story because we don't want to know where the dude came from. It's, we, it's more interesting. Yeah, we already, like, the end, of the, the end of this movie is basically everything we already know about Joker. You know, it's like, that's, it's one, a big selling point of, like, one reason, you know, why this movie has been so successful even though it's a very, it's a compared to, um, you know, DC movies or any real mild, like big popcorn movie. Yeah, a it's fairly not. mild budget. Yeah, um, and it's made a tremendous amount of money. Yeah, for Warner Brothers for uh, an R-rated movie and just for a uh, even a just a movie in October and for an October movie. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what I heard. It's yeah. Demolishing it. Yeah, just last year there was Venom, which broke the October record, mm-hmm. and then again just the. The spin-off villain movie yeah. in October that that breaks is the next to break the record. Yeah, just that idea though of that the origin is unnecessary and like we don't want to see how he became a Joker and whatever. And you know, listening to the press, you know, I've watched a lot of videos. I've listened to podcast interviews. People trying to corner Joaquin Phoenix on like, well, what does this part mean to mm-hmm. you? And he's like, I don't know, you know. I'd play it one way, I'd play it another way, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, I, mean, I, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really know, you know. If and you're looking for answers from a Joaquin Phoenix interview. I know, <laughs> but there was even a good one. He was on the Real Blend podcast, and him, him, and then the next episode was Todd Phillips. And they were both good interviews. Like, Todd Phillips would dodge questions in press. Mm. But Joaquin, in that one anyway, was, was very much, I don't know. We didn't talk about that. Yeah. I didn't want to know the reason for this. I didn't want to know too much about this motivation or that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's what makes it so interesting is that it is giving people, like, here's the Joker origin story. Like, I don't want to know his story. I'm like, does anyone know what happened? Because not really, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we still don't know. Yeah. We still get the Batman origin thrown into our brains every time we see Batman, which I think maybe you can speak better on this. Mm-hmm. Do you think we need to keep learning? Do you think we need to keep seeing the alley seat? Do you think we need to keep seeing the pearls? You think no, we need- but I think that that has to be case by case in terms of the filmmaker's vision because if you take, for example, Batman v Superman, I think that is a great example of a late-era Batman. Mm-hmm that would not need that to be part of the story. And yet, it's the best shot in the movie, <laughs> it, the way that the film opens, and mm. his little monologue, you know, like, there were, there was a time where there were perfect things, you know, and he, you know, show him fall through the, the cave, and then, you know, cut back, and he's, like, standing there at his parents' gravestone. I, I remember watching that for the first time on, on the big screen, at uh, the... Uh, at the premiere, and seeing in sharp focus Martha Wayne 
like more so than Thomas Wayne. And I thought, okay. I said, oh, that's that's nice. They ignore her all the time, mm-hmm. you know. And and so like I'm seeing that on the screen, going, oh wow, that's really cool. They gave her a little okay. more screen time, you know. So, and then yeah. obviously that plays in later. So yeah. so there was a reason why you had to see it again there. Okay. Uh, because that was a climax in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. with the whole Martha thing. And you know, people don't like. That I, you could go listen to my Justice League episode where I talk about that. But it was relevant. Now, you could argue that in this one, it was less relevant. However, the idea of creating Joker and Batman on the same day mm. is interesting. It's it never is. been done. Yeah, yeah. You know, that the same... Uh, and, and not have it because if you look at Batman '89, have you seen all the Batman movies generally? I've, most of them, yeah. I've seen '89. I haven't seen the Kilmer ones or the yeah, or Batman the, Robin. Yeah, I've yeah, seen the the, 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 the quote, unquote, ones, reputable ones. Yeah. yeah. So, um, if you look at '89, one of the criticisms was that Jack Napier killed the Waynes. It was. Essential for that story, mm-hmm. you know, it it was uh, a singular film. It wasn't made to be this long fucking thing with all these sequels and and whatever. So you needed to tell the story of the Waynes, and the Joker was your only villain. So it made sense for them to do that, right. you know. But I also point to that movie when people argue that we don't need to see the Joker's origin. I don't want to sympathize with this character. I don't want to know where he came from. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. 89, you see a guy who's just a mobster, and he's a dick, you know, like his girl comes up to him while he's looking in the mirror, and she goes, you look fine, and he goes, I didn't ask. You know, he's just a dick. Yeah. But he gets, you know, his boss double crosses him, sends a crooked cop to kill him over an affair that he had, right? It's so even that... Is a little bit of a sympathetic situation, right. you know. He didn't. He didn't deserve to get taken out. You Even know, something you'd expect from a Jack Nicholson character. Exactly. It's like it's not out of the realm of possibility. And generally, Batman fans. I don't know about movie fans, but Batman fans fucking love that movie. Mm-hmm. You know, and so there, there is some precedent for that. So to get back to what you were saying about. Is the crime alley scene essential? No, not this time. But again, the idea of creating both of their alter egos on the same day yeah, from the same is, event is interesting. It's fascinating. And twisting it by not being Joker who actually kills them. Yeah. But they are collateral damage sort of in that equation. You know, mm-hmm. and I like when they do in the comics or or on the show Gotham or other places where they are bringing in other characters that you know just on the periphery as uh, just some kind of world building. Like you feel like it's more grounded in Gotham when you're getting these elements of other characters. Mm-hmm. At least I do. And it also kind of tell it also shows another thing that I notice about. <clears throat> the character of Bruce Wayne in this movie is that he seems like even before anything happened that would motivate him to become Batman, he was always just kind of a very quiet, stoic, unhappy child. Like in, in the scene, the gate at uh, Wayne Manor, Bruce is like, it's just standing there quietly and 
Joker or Arthur like puts his fingers in his mouth and makes him he smile. He puts the clown nose and the little yeah. elevator and gag. He's just, and he's not uh, enthused by it at all. And, you know, he... Uh, he seems inquisitive, you know? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's a better way to phrase and, it. And but it almost feels like the same sort of response that he has when he's just standing there in the alley with the rats and the yeah. and his dead parents on there. It just seems... Uh, it's interesting. He's you very know? internal. It seems like maybe it's like this is a kind of always something that um, was kind of, it was always kind of eminent, always kind of foreshadowing that like, you know, Batman is just going to be. Like that's just inevitable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, again, my, one of the reasons it was so difficult to watch, particularly the first time, was just because there was no yin and yang you know i i really mm. i'm so trained when shit gets that far and there's cars flipped over and the streets are burning and there's you know clown masks everywhere that you know he's gonna swing in and pound the shit out of him and that's yeah it was well earned he needed to get yeah knocked down and he needed to get taken in it was so like i don't want to say unsatisfying because it's such a good end of the movie but it was they stick you with that feeling, yeah. You know, of it just, like, it's not getting better. They just the whole movie just locks you into a room with the Joker, yeah. And that's what that's what you're getting. Yeah. And maybe that could just be another thing that maybe turns people off from that. Is maybe like you're saying, you know, some people just don't care to know, yeah, because like they know what the outcome is, like they know who this guy is going to become, and they're like, you know, I just. I must refer it seeing it from the Batman perspective, you yeah. know, from the Bruce Wayne perspective. You know, I've seen some people posting online, like when the movie came out, they're like, fuck yeah, that was awesome. And I was like, if you walk out of that movie going, that was awesome, I had so much fun. Like, I am deeply concerned. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I saw some other thing that was, that was saying um, in 2019, people are realizing that they have more in common with the Joker and, you know, mental illness than they do with the... Uh, uh, a billionaire who protects people's property and supports the police or whatever. And I was like, are you fucking like, if, if you want to reduce it to that, sure. Yeah. Go Enjoy ahead. your happy little fucking world. But like, let me know once you add a little more nuance to that argument. Exactly, man. Cause I feel like there's a reason why Bruce Wayne has endured all this time. And the duality of that character people relate to because we have a side that we present to the world and we have a side that's ourselves. You know, there's, so much there in the being wronged in life and trying to do right by it, but mm-hmm. still being susceptible to, um, you know, the, the negative stuff. I mean, he, he, his rule is just to keep him from going down that rabbit hole because he could easily have become the Charles Bronson death wish character, yeah. you know, and he wasn't. And so I, I think that there's so much psychology in that, that viewing Gotham through his lens um, is the only thing that's kept us alive all these years. Because I can't even imagine if it was just this kind of madness all the time. Mm-hmm. That I feel like that would wear thin, you know? I can't imagine right. a whole series of these yeah. happening. I don't know. It's somewhat of a relief that the filmmakers have sort of talked about how, like, Joaquin's Joker is not going to meet... Robert Pattinson's Batman. Well, We're not going to... And I'm so bummed that we won't... Because they've talked about, yeah, yeah, I mean, who knows if we ever do a sequel? And they're like, well, well, Batman? He's like, no. 
I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I want to see this dude get knocked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, just just relax the, and let the I movie see get them go head to head. Because, you know, I've had uh, heard other people have written that, you know, he's not like a criminal genius like the Joker is. He's yeah. not whatever, you know. It's like. He's fumbly. We're, we're, he's... Yeah, but we're, we're, what you're seeing is the making of this mm-hmm. person, you know. And he is reacting to the world around him. So, you know, just looking at it in simplest terms like that, when Batman comes into existence, that's a provocation. Mm-hmm. And he is going to have a reaction to it. So it's yeah. not like he's going to be some mastermind necessarily. Um, but he would definitely... I mean, think about how he was resourceful enough mm. to get into the room with Thomas Wayne. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, he's not dumb. Right. He was able to evade the cops for as long as he was. Mm-hmm. He was able to, um, you know, get the records from Arkham. You know, he was... he's resourceful he's clever enough you know and uh just because we're seeing him in a small scale doesn't mean he's not that he wouldn't be capable doing something dark night opening style like yeah i don't i wouldn't put it past uh, this arthur rendition at all you know i think uh just to go through some of the the references real quick that i found anyway sure taxi driver with the uh the Sophie character, the neighbor, mm. um, doing the gun to the head oh, yeah. uh, with her fingers. Um, that's obviously a nod to Travis Bickle in the final scene. Obviously, the king of comedy, just as we talked about in the premise, uh, reversing the Rupert Pupkin character uh, into Murray Franklin, the host. The Dark Knight and Heath Ledger, both with the, you know, want to know how you got these scars and making you question, like, each part of the origin, I think yeah. that's relevant, but but directly you have the cop car sequence at the end, which is very much like when Ledger bombed the, the police station and, and yeah. escaped. Yeah, and then right before that, at the end of the TV segment, you have him actually walk up to the cameraman. He grabs the camera and does the point of view shot, mm-hmm. and I got so excited when I saw that because um, from from what I've read, they were actually friends as actors uh heath and and joaquin that makes sense and uh so i thought well that was cool man i wonder if that was like a a little nod to him recognizing they knew each other i don't know i don't know what what the purpose was maybe it was joaquin won't answer you know yeah (laughs) maybe it was scripted i don't know know, but i I thought that was really neat the uh look when it first came out i really didn't like when they first posted the the test makeup shot that todd phillips did a year ago like the subway and it's like smiling I, i thought that was weird um but then I, I had been waiting a while for this book uh, to come out on um, hardcover, uh, Dark Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. That was an Italian artist and, and author. He, he did everything himself. His look is very much like it. It's, it's mm-hmm. funny, too, because the same year that The Dark Knight came out, a book called Joker came out. It was like an R-rated, real grimy character and he had the like cheshire smile or whatever you call it where mm-hmm. you can like cut his face in in listening to the creators talk about it they had finished it like well before the movie and they just came out at the same time mm-hmm. and they had the same look it was weird mm-hmm. and once again this book had actually come out in france uh like two years ago because my cousin uh, worked at the publisher over there okay. and he sent me this 
press like uh, the press materials. I got a poster hanging on the wall over there. He's like, check this out. This is a super cool uh, new Batman story that's uh, you know from this Italian dude. I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I wonder if they'll translate it. You know. So finally it gets translated and released over here. And, oh, that's crazy. The Joker looks exactly like the Joaquin that just came out. Mm. Like So it's weird how those things kind of uh, history repeated itself there. Yeah. As far as I know, there's no communication between those branches of DC film and DC comics. Yeah. You know, they just happen to be parallel thoughts mm-hmm. at the same time, I guess. Yeah. Um, and according to Joaquin, they, you know, like Todd Phillips had just knew exactly what it was going to be they didn't really fuck around with the look very much it was just it was already decided but yeah but that was cool because that book dark prince charming is fucking great and a really really good version of the joker like just from his opening scenes you're like yep that's nailed it perfect yep see um and then um dark knight returns the frank miller books from the 80s joker has been like institutionalized for years and years and he doesn't speak you know, they just give him his medicine, and he takes it, and he doesn't say a word. He just stares at the fucking wall. Mm-hmm. And then somebody turns on the TV, and they're like, first Batman sighting in 20 years or something like that. And you see him, like, turn his head. And he goes on a talk show, and this, like, psychologist is on there, whatever, psychiatrist, I don't know the difference because I'm stupid, is, you know, talking about, like, how he's a changed man, and he's cured, and blah, blah, blah. And Joker sips one of those ceramic mugs breaks it on the desk and slits the guy's throat Uh. on live tv wow Uh, yeah and so like as that scene is happening with murray franklin i'm like oh shit oh i was like he's not gonna kill himself holy shit you know like he's yeah and so that when that happened i was like frank miller rad the killing joke was cited obviously because that's like the one of the only books that ever hint at joker's origin there's that whole multiple choice thing and then there's the uh, just the idea of one bad day. Mm-hmm. If you boil down this movie to when it really accelerates, it's when he, after he sees Thomas Wayne, the next, I think it's the next day, when he goes and does the investigation at Arkham. Yeah. He goes to the hospital and smothers his fucking own mom. You know, puts and on the makeup. Then he goes to the show. Yep, puts on the makeup. He kills his coworker, and then he goes to the show and kills Murray. You know, so I mean, so much of that happens. It is just one bad day. Really, mm-hmm. is the catalyst for this whole thing. So I, I thought that was really true to it as well. Um, even little things I wasn't sure about, like I listened to the Bat Force podcast, which I really enjoy, and um, I think it was on that one that they mentioned. The, the little guy who was, um, I forget his name. I know the big guy's name, Randall, I think. Yeah, Randall. Um, but the the other guy um, was possibly another nod to Killing Joke because in that movie it took place at like a, uh, an amusement park, the climax of it, and he had all these like circus uh, clowns and people yeah. like in his in his crew as his henchmen or whatever. And so... He had all kinds of little people and big people and all you know all kinds of weird shit. So they, their suggestion was that maybe that was another little minor nod mm-hmm. um, to the source material. Also, just it being so dark and so violent, you know, because I mean that's a that's a book where he shoots and implied rapes Gordon's daughter. Yeah, you know, and so if that's the guy you're going for then the scissors in the eye seems normal. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Oh, and then this is interesting. The sequel to that 2008 Joker book just came out recently. It's called Batman Damned. And in that book, they write Thomas Wayne as an adulterer. Oh. And friction between the two of them before the murder happens. Okay. How the fuck does that keep happening? Like, that shit just... I mean, Thomas Wayne, I like in the idealized version. I like the romanticized version of the Waynes of, you know, you have these other figures, the uh, Rupert Thorns or, you know, the Falcons, and there's other power and wealth in the city, but they were the virtuous ones. You know, I, I like that about them, and so... I didn't love that in Damned that they tried to like tarnish that a little bit. Like, oh, what if we throw this at him? I was like, no, nah, but you, oh, I don't like this one, you know. But give him one piece of harmony in Bruce's life, please, you know. Yeah. They even the memory of the parents was like more fucked up than you imagine. Like that's that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, when they did that in this movie, I thought again they're gonna make Thomas Wayne a dick again. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone who wears a mask is a coward. Yeah, yeah. And oh, the irony know. in that yeah. sense, I mean, so good. <laughs> yeah, they really made him a cock. They had originally cast, did you read this? Mm-mm. That role was played by Alec Baldwin. Really? Yeah. He signed on, and then he backed out because of uh, scheduling, it said. Oh. And I knew that going into it, so the whole time I'm watching this guy, who was very good, I don't know his name, um, yeah. but he did a great job. Um, but I'm just watching him and imagining Alec Baldwin, you know, mm-hmm. like when they're in the bathroom and he's like, what, you want a fucking autograph? You know, I, I just hear like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Alec Baldwin yeah. with that fucking condescending smug shit that he does really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost that, that departed yeah. shit, you know? Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that I felt. Oh, like the music was so good. The cinematography was so good. But then I knew about that casting change. I was like, yeah. Ugh. Well, I I think I read somewhere, or I think I looked on uh, online, and a, the actor who played Thomas Wayne was also in. He had a role in uh, Dark Knight Rises. He was really. I I I, I that's all I oh, can. I wonder tell you, if. I wonder if he guy. was the guy in the very beginning because there was that event. At, it was Harvey Dent Day at Wayne Manor. You yeah. Know, and and like politicians and cops or whatever, and they were talking shit about Gordon. Like, it was on his way out. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, hey, he's a wartime, you know. I can't remember what they called him, but, you know. I, I wonder if he was from that scene. Maybe. Or, oh, shit! It, you know who he was? Huh? Uh, it was from that scene. He was the fucking guy that uh, Selena Kyle mm-hmm. gets in his limo and kidnaps him. Oh. And so, like, when she goes to get the fucking... I'm not going to go through the whole plot. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was... Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was that fucking guy, now that I think about it. Yeah. I'm going to have to I think, look I think that that's up. reading true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know uh, a casting coincidence that I noticed about this movie that I tried looking up and seeing if anyone had anything to say about this... What? ...was... Uh, have you watched... Um, it's another Joaquin movie, You Were Never Really Here? Not yet. It's on, it's on my prime list uh, to watch because... That, I think, is a... Joker's, that, like... Like one of those where, like the first time I saw it, I was in the wrong headspace to see it, and it yeah. really grossed me out. I know it's going to be one of those, so I yeah. I need to work that's myself a, up to it. That's a real movie to pair with Joker in the sense if you have a Joaquin character, you know, he's basically on the other side of it where he's 
is basically like a hitman who yeah. has a very traumatic past who rescues girls from like sex trafficking and yeah. all his only weapon is like he uses a hammer. God. And, but the thing about that movie and the, its portrayal of violence is they really, really tone down a lot of the violence. They'll like they'll have like a scene where he's walking up they'll they'll show it from like a, a security cam and he's mm. walking up the stairs and he's going towards these he's going to these rooms and he's like about to like bash this guy's head yeah. and then it cuts to another part of the just a, a quiet uh empty space in the in the the building mm-hmm. they they don't they barely show any of the violence oh well, except that makes for like me a few feel other a little parts. more open there's, to watching it there's soon. some there's some gruesome like <clears throat> looking visuals yeah and one maybe near the end that's a little you know it, it's yeah. definitely saying something about violence but anyway for some flashback shots of that character as a little kid mm-hmm. and the actor who plays that little kid is the same actor who plays bruce wayne no shit yeah that's great i like was looking that up and it's like oh he's a, he's also in you're never really here well who do you play he plays young joe he he's plays the younger you? version of them yeah <laughs> and and I, I like like looked it up i was like you're never really here joker like question mark bruce wayne like type the kid's uh name no results N- nothing about it and i'm like what i feel like you could write a whole piece about this yeah, that's crazy. I, I I saw a piece of artwork yesterday. I'm on a couple um like I have my Bat Fan Addict um Instagram page where it's cuz I, I I was posting too much about it on my music page. So I created my own account for that. But then on my Facebook page, I just follow a bunch of Batman groups. There was some cool fan art that was like Joaquin kneeling down with the nose on mm. and doing the smiley face to Bruce, but it was like a, a side profile and the silhouettes and then behind them were big shadows of Joker and of Batman. Mm. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And someone was like, fucking spoiler alert, man. This is fucking bullshit. I haven't seen the movie yet. And I was like, I actually commented to this stranger that I don't know. Because uh, people were piling on like their opinion. I'm like, hey, this was in the trailer. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. This came out like six months ago. Spoiler it's alert. Okay. Batman the Joker. Or yin and yang, and have been for <laughs> yeah. decades. Um, here's something I noticed the second time that I didn't notice the first time uh, in terms of nods to other uh, variations of the character. And maybe I'm reading into this too much, but have you ever seen Batman the Animated Series? Yeah, when I was really, really young. You remember the Mark Hamill Joker yeah. design? Mm-hmm. So when Arthur is at the Arkham Records desk... Uh, I think all the shots we see him are actually from the other guy's perspective. They're through that diamond-shaped grate. Yeah. And many of the shots are centered up so his eyes are, like, in the the holes. Oh, through the... Yeah, and I don't know if this is by design, but the way that they draw Joker's eyes on that old Bruce Timm version is, like, jagged, dark circles around his eyes mm-hmm. and i'm watching that on the second view and going holy shit he looks just like hamill's joker like ah. with the shape um surrounding his eye like boxed him in just perfect i thought that was really neat even if it was unintentional that i that it could be read that way i thought was cool right well yeah i mean no one's gonna tell you that it is or that it isn't it's up to you to sort of interpret it that way and you have and you've it's just another kind of small thing that you can really you know, look at and admire about this, you know, like either it is yeah. something that, you know, they were doing, they did their, their Joker homework or it was like, 
a styrofoam cup in the background of Star Wars movie. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. whoops, you know. Either they did a lot of references or they just got the character right, you know, mm-hmm. because there's another thing that reminded me of Jack Napier Joker in the Murray Franklin scene where he shoots him. He keeps talking to him after he's dead. Mm. He's still talking. Like, he hadn't finished his thought. <laughs> and uh, it reminded me of the scene where uh, Joker, uh, well, actually, he goes in plain face makeup as uh, as Jack Napier and says, you know, Grissom's out. I'm running things for the time being. And uh, he fries that guy with the hand buzzer. And he turns him into the skeleton. And mm-hmm. when I was a kid, that was the scariest part. <laughs> and he continues to have a conversation alone in the room with the fried smoking corpse. And he, like, adjusts the guy's tie up mm. to his skull, you know? And he's like, you always were a vicious bastard, weren't you? <laughs> I'm glad you're dead. You know, and he starts laughing. Yeah. And so when Arthur keeps talking after, you know, killing Murray mid-sentence, basically, and... Uh, and then kind of just do to do off the steps, you know. I thought that that reminded me a lot of uh, Jack's Joker too. Yeah, it's like it, it's almost like going deeper into uh, the psychosis of the Joker. That you know, especially in a, a, like in this version, I think maybe in versions of the Killing Joke where he's uh, um, he is a uh, like a failed. Uh, stand up. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That like, reference he, too. He's just trying to be like he's he's a clown, you know. A little bit is like he's tall, he's trying to like. I mean, I know he doesn't really. He thinks what he's doing is funny. Yeah. So he's almost doing this all of these things, little theatrics as a way to appease himself. Yeah. But he's also kind of like, if you're listening, you know, if you like this stuff, like you know, I do children's parties, you know, like yeah, that kind of a thing. He's still kind of being playful about it, being a real joker about it. Um and that is something that I find kind of fascinating about him is that, like, even, uh, like, he ledger's Joker, you know, he has these moments, he's, he's blowing up a hospital and, mm-hmm. you know, he's pressing the button and nothing's yeah. happening and he's still being uh, kind of silly about it, even though he's doing performing heinous acts while he's still kind of, you know, playing a role of a buffoon or of a, yeah. of a clown. Yeah, I actually just watched uh, an episode of the animated series where Joker... Uh, sees the mayor on television talking about the violence in the city and, you know, I won't rest until the whole city is as safe as the mayor's mansion, you know, or something Mm -hmm. like that. And Joker's watching TV going, all right. And so he shows up to the mayor's house at this grand old party. It looked like Billy Madison's birthday party or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like a huge mansion birthday party for the mayor's son. And Joker shows up dressed up as a proper clown does a whole routine and uh actually come to think of it he does magic oh how funny he does magic and uh the kid is really fascinated by him you know and he's watching him joker puts his own candle on the top of this cake that's clearly a fucking stick of dynamite yeah you know and he pushes it over and he's like okay everybody you know we're gonna sing happy birthday or something and, and so everyone's singing standing around the cake and this is about to fucking blow i mean he's he's yeah. al-qaeda he's a fucking terrorist you know? yeah. Like, yeah this is about- an isis attack 
in a kid's cartoon, yes. basically. And then only when Bruce, as a plainclothes guest, sees the thing, you know, does he jump, push the thing into the pool or something, you know. Mm. But, like, there is precedent for everything that happens in this movie, mm-hmm. pretty much. Uh, you know, or, like, even one that I thought was a good analogy that wasn't a literal shot for shot was in Under the Red Hood. The character Black Mask breaks Joker out of Arkham. Mm-hmm. Brings him into this room, uncuffs him, or takes him out of a straitjacket or whatever. You know, I can't remember if he's like full on Hannibal Lecter, like they do sometimes or not, but there's all these tough mob looking guys in there and Black Mask sitting there. Joker just, I can't remember how he starts, but he like breaks a glass, slits a guy's throat, grabs his gun, shoots the other two guys, and, and then, you know, <laughs> strangles the other one or whatever, and was like, so, what can I do for you? That's. The dude, you yeah, know, that's just that's he's always so been on that, brand. But there's just there's just no balance. Yeah, there's just no pulling away, and that's why this movie is do got anything everybody him. talking about yeah, it. Yeah, do anything to him. He's gonna he's gonna laugh. He's, yeah, he's gonna it's he finds humor in the most macabre, dark, sick things. Yeah. Well, even and, in that in that scene uh, in the red hoodie where he's like, I'm gonna need some guys. Not these guys, but can you give me some guys who aren't dead or something, you know, something like that? Right, right. You know, he, yeah, he's always had that sign. Uh, now, on on the subject of his sense of humor, can we talk about the laugh? Sure. I thought it was great the way that they wrote it in as uh, a medical condition, the little card that he hands mm-hmm. out. I thought that was fucking super clever. Oh, yeah, it totally works. Showing it as a pained thing. And then you start to see through the dancing and through like him celebrating some of the other violence that like, oh, there might actually be a correlation between like what's wrong with this dude yeah. and the laugh. Because the more he indulges the shit when he's unmedicated is when you start to see that side of him actually become a little more magnified. And, you know, Todd Phillips was quoted saying that his only genuine laugh in the whole movie is in the final scene. When, when he's, he's when, like, oh, just yeah, a joke like, I was thinking of, oh, you yeah, wouldn't get it, wouldn't you know. Get, okay, yeah. And, um, and I thought it was really great because he has these horrible, uncomfortable, nervous laughs. And then, you know, like you watch him in the comedy club and he's yeah. studying. But he's, he's and everyone's at, laughing. At the, at the wrong time. And then he'll laugh at the setup, you know. And, and so you get these ones where he thinks he's supposed to. You yeah, know? or like when he's watching Murray Franklin on TV, you know, he does that same one. But the variation is really interesting to me, and like mm-hmm. where he does what. And I think the more times I get to view the movie, the more I'll look at that differently. I bet mm-hmm. over the years I might see that differently. I feel like because um, there, there's it's such a big part of the character, the laugh that you're not always differentiating. Like, oh, he did that one here and. Right here, you know. Yeah, more play of like what's what's real and what's not. Yeah. So let's dive into that because I a lot of my notes are on that and we haven't gotten to much of it yet. But um, I don't want to be here all fucking day. <laughs> um, the uh, card itself says medical condition that could be result of head trauma or blah blah blah, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know some disorder. I thought that was very interesting because it ties in with the whole Thomas Wayne story. Yeah. You know, he has this uh, story that he tells 
Well, I guess it's from the Arkham Records that talk about the adoption and the abuse that he suffered at the hands of some boyfriend right. of his mom. That part is so unclear that I love it. Mm-hmm. Because you have... The card itself says it could be head trauma or it could be f- from a disorder, right? They're just giving examples of like, oh, this is common and blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. the, the stranger can understand what's wrong with this guy. Yeah, and they normally do. Right? But they're also saying it to the viewer. Yeah. You know, because you have this mother figure who you established in the beginning has this desperate longing for this other person is very much a shut in. Mm -hmm. We see that she's unwell, but we don't necessarily see her medicated or talk about her condition or figure out what it is. Yeah. You have Thomas Wayne call her fucking crazy. You have the Arkham file that confirms this, whether or not that's planted confirms that she's crazy. Right. Right. And he, suffers the same sort of things that they talk about in her file, mm-hmm. right? So either he is genetically <clears throat> her son and inherited these traits, or that adoption thing and the abuse is equally plausible. Right. They don't give you the answer, and right. I like that. Yeah, you can kind of look at it. You can kind of, on, on different viewings of it, you can kind of see it as like, oh, yeah, it is. It could be seen as this way. And then on another viewing, you're like, oh, it, I think... Yeah, there's some weird stuff happening here. Like, what's what's yeah. this about? The second viewing was harder for me in terms of wrapping my head around it. The first one was harder to watch. The second one, I had my analytic lens on. Yeah. And I am going, okay, now I've seen it. I've read about it. I've listened to the interviews. Like, I, all right, let's figure out what the fuck actually happened. Yeah. And I was left with more questions <laughs> than the first time because I feel like it's very much... Vince Gilligan style, like Breaking Bad style, where that show affected how I watch movies and TV to this day. Mm -hmm. Because the way they would show you the half-burned face of the teddy bear in the pool in the first episode, ending with fucking Gus burning his face off in the last episode or whatever, like every shot in that fucking show was deliberate. Right. Everything intentional. Why are they showing me this? From then on, if I'm watching anything and i see something that's out of character or maybe a little mundane or whatever i'm thinking to myself what is the reason for this scene right why did this make the cut what are they showing me Mm -hmm. you know and so watching the second time with that is just so much more confusing because i mean you could take something as simple as that little card and read into it this fucking much yeah okay here's something that somebody pointed out in the comments section he writes in his journal uh, when it gets big and scribbly, mm-hmm. you know, like the thing about having a mental illness is everyone expects you to act as if you don't, right? Mm-hmm. It gets messier and bigger as it starts to go down the page. I noticed he's writing it with his left hand, uh-huh. and I noticed that during the movie, but then there's so much other stuff going on, I forgot to pay any attention, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look, and many other times, he's using his right hand Mm. to lead with. And so that makes me wonder... Which one uh, is the real hand? Is there some sort of multiple personality thing happening here? Like, is this a primal fear situation? Like, uh, a fight club situation? 
you know, where there's some maybe, duality. Is the penmanship a little bit? It's worse. It's worse. It's noticeably worse. So what it maybe because it looks crazier on those big quotable right. things that he does. You right. Know? So maybe yeah. Like it if you look up the like, page, it's normal, and then it starts to get sprawl out of control. Okay. And you look, and he's writing with his left hand. Hmm. But if you look, he leads his cigarette with his right hand. He does other things with his right hand. So, like, what is the purpose of yeah. this? What are you some kind of saying? un un mentioned kind of reasoning of like maybe he's um somewhere we don't see him decide like oh i want to start writing with you know the other hand and get better at that you know i don't really think you know yeah i don't uh, know what the yeah, purpose it, is yeah it's, it's a, that's a that's a very astute uh uh observation and you know there's the 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 whole adoption thing comes as a big blow because you know, we know he doesn't have a father figure, and he hallucinates that Murray Franklin thing in the beginning where he brings him down and says, you know, I'd give it all up to have a son like you, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we know that that's a big void for him. One thing I wanted to ask you about, yeah. not when we meet Sophie, the neighbor, yeah. in the elevator, but when she first comes to his door, mm -hmm. what is he doing? In the seconds before that, he's in the apartment doing something, and I don't remember what. Was this right after he was in the comedy club taking notes, or is this that, right before, after? I don't know. He had he was playing around know. with the gun. <clears throat> but the reason I'm asking is because I'm wondering what the cues are. Because from the first, their interaction and her being visibly creeped out as he does the gun to the head thing, mm -hmm. and you know watches her go to her, which apartment she goes into. She was noticeably shaken, and then the next scene, she shows up at his door happy, and instantly, first viewing, I'm going, this isn't real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Something's off it here. It kind this of just made me right. feel like, you know, what is, what is it that, like, she finds so appealing? Either I don't know what's, we know what might be going through her head, or yeah. some, some kind of twist is going to be spun on this. Part of the reason I want to read into that scene more is because I think there's a significance between music like you pointed out, dancing after a kill, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also some sort of, I think, tie between the music and the hallucinations. The attackers on the subway are singing Send in the Clowns. Yeah. You know, there's something surreal about the way that plays out. And um, I couldn't remember uh, specifically, but I feel like there are other musical cues... There's, I mean, uh, he's singing "That's Life" after, you know, Murray. But I feel like there's there's more the, than that in the locker room at the at Haha's. One of the first scenes they're playing, uh, "Everybody Plays a Fool." They're like, "Everybody plays a fool." Doo, mm -hmm. doo, doo, doo. And he mentions a song that I looked up later, where he says, "I was listening to, you know, the radio, and a song came on that says my name is Carnival. Mm -hmm. That's my stage name, you know, and." Surprising so I'm wondering the... if there's more to be said within, you know, when he's singing or other characters are singing, if that is showing us what is and isn't real. Do you ever see um, American Werewolf in London? No. So that was a movie, a John Landis movie from the early 80s about these guys who are like backpacking in, in Europe and one of them gets bitten by a, a werewolf and is later becoming a werewolf. And all of the music, all of the songs that are used are, it's like... A, Blue Moon or Bad Moon Rising. Every every song yeah. implemented in the in the movie is like has Moon in the title or like uses like Moon. So yeah, th I was thinking about that when watching this movie. 
thinking maybe it's just sort of a a motif. Yeah. You know, just like use this as sort of a, a light motif, a yeah. audible kind of thing that will... All those things are great for setting the mood, but I was just reading into it more because, I mean, if, even if you think of the lyrics of That's Life and why that was chosen to be a recurring um, song, I mean, you see Isn't that the even, way he that's, delivers. That's even Murray Franklin's, like, sign-off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and you see the way he delivers it. You know, some people get their kicks from stomping on a dream, you know, and, yeah. like, he just this it's so intense when he's, like, whisper singing it at the end. I, I just wonder if, if there's something in there about what's what's imagined and hallucinated, you know. Maybe it um, could be read as like um during each scene, whatever the kind of uh song that's playing is somewhat sort of uh like shadowing over that. Like yeah. when they're what the song that they're uh uh the Wall Street guys are singing when they're sending the clowns sending yeah. the clowns, it's almost like that's maybe that is like the I mean, that's the sort of the moment when he has his first kills. Yeah. And sort of like, all right, here we go. Like, send in the clowns. Here we go. We're going to get this Joker thing, like, really started right now. Or And I feel like the another, it's just like the laugh thing where there's two contradictory theories because they show you that Sophie's not real by re- establishing those shots where we saw her earlier and fading her out of them and showing him there alone, mm-hmm. right? And so that leads you to believe that the rest of it is real. But there are so many things that imply otherwise, you know. Okay, do you remember the opening of The Dark Knight? We just talked about it, yeah. the bank scene, right? Mm-hmm. One of the other masked clowns gets shot, and he asks Heath's Joker, uh, was that five or six? And he, like, holds up six you know stands up and gets shot where did you learn to count right because he wanted that guy to get shot yeah okay subway scene he's holding a revolver we see it many times it's a six shooter he fires eight times Mm. second time i watched it i counted him just because i was trying to figure out what the fuck's real right and i thought of that and so he shoots the first guy once which again we don't see him shoot the guy (coughs) the uh it just Shots start happening. Yeah. The other guy gets shot twice instantly. He pegs the other guy on the way out the door. Yeah. So there's already four. And then, you know, gradually shoots this guy multiple times as he's running away. Yeah. And so I'm like, how the fuck did we get to eight on that six shooter? Yeah. When the only time we're not seeing him is he's just dodging back and forth, looking through the doorway of the subway to see if the guy's going to get off. And even the... When he shoots through the wall in the apartment. You could like, say that he had reloaded it in that period oh, of time. Oh, I, I see. You know, you could have said I that. I thought you meant just like... But just, just in terms of... Period. You have a six-shooter. You're not reloading it. Mm-hmm. You know, we never see him... Actually, it's true. We never see him get, you know, ammunition Do we ever see else. the full amount of... <clears throat> Of ammo that he got from Randall, we just kind of see just kind of pulls the in gun. Bag. So yeah. I, I mean, it, it's not out of the question to say that there was enough in there to do everything he did in the film, but there was definitely not enough in the gun in the two three minutes of that subway okay. scene for that to occur. Yeah, that, that wasn't possible. Okay, the mom. Mm-mm. He goes into the apartment. She's sitting on the recliner. Murray comes on. And he, like, wakes her up to dance with her or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And this is right before he finds the letter on the yeah. table. And they get in this big fight. When he first walked into the house, I thought, 
oh, she's dead sitting in the chair. Yeah. She looked dead, right? I mean, she's very still and, you know, we know she's sickly and kind of decrepit state of being. And so I thought, oh, she's dead. And then he starts talking to her and like, you know, picks her up sort of and is dancing with her. Yeah. And um, I'm like, oh, I guess she's not dead. Um, but I, I wonder if she's been dead the whole time because there's that. He, you know, she looks dead. He picks her up and starts dancing her involuntarily. Okay. He then has a big argument with her through a door. Mm. They never interact Yeah. physically. You can't see it. It's all through the door. So he puts her in the other room. Door closes, yelling. No interaction there. The next time we see her, he's coming back and she's on a stretcher. Right. Now, there was a line of dialogue that the police said they were questioning her and she had a stroke. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's the easy explanation. But I'm still looking at this going, did he kill his mom? Was she already dead in the first place? Or did she have a stroke? And she was laying there in the fucking chair? Mm. You know? So maybe it's like we're just seeing things from like a different yeah, like, timeline. Who knows? Because uh, I, yeah. I, I was wondering that on the second viewing going, let me go with my gut. The first time I thought she was dead, what if she is dead? What does that mean? And so it's like, okay, he's dancing around with her body. They're yelling at each other through the door. The next time we see her, she's on the stretcher. And then she never speaks again, I don't think, the whole rest of the movie. She's mm-hmm. in, you know, in the hospital by the rest yeah. of the time. I think the only thing she says is like, <clears throat> right before he smothers her, he's like whispering, I love you. Yeah, I think she opens her eyes or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, so that, that made me wonder how much of that was real as well. Can we talk about the fridge? Yeah. I don't know what what I could talk about other than I had some questions. Yeah. That's right before he gets the call yeah, to be a murderer. Yeah, the segue, because right? he, gets, he gets home and the phone is ringing so, uh, so and he rips everything out of the the fridge and climbs inside. Yeah. And the, the cut to the next scene where he's in bed the next morning and the phone is ringing. And so... That led me to a whole other question, but the fridge itself, I didn't know if that was supposed to be symbolic or if that was just, you know, I even thought of like the term fridging, like to kill a character to move the plot forward, you know, that they mm. often do to a female character. Oh, okay. Um, like I, I learned that after um, Deadpool 2, uh, they were right. saying, oh, you fucking fridged Vanessa or whatever. Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I read into it, and apparently that's a thing. That it's usually like a female character, but they just kill someone off as a big plot device. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think that Maybe was right after he killed his mom, if I remember right. It was right after he watched uh, Murray, the, Murray make fun of him. Yeah. Okay, maybe it show. was. A- and then like the neck, because that's <clears> when, I think that's around the similar time when the he gets like, does he get a voicemail um, saying like from the detectives? Yeah, like, the we direct were just transition out of the fridge is the phone is ringing and then cut to... The voicemail. Yeah. So that makes me wonder. I mean, his dream was to be on the Murray Franklin show, he as just, established in the very beginning. He just wants his phone call. <laughs> <laughs> so what if the call finally coming in mm-hmm. is bullshit too? Because it, it was his fucking fantasy. It was the first provable, obvious fantasy of the movie. Yeah. Was that he wanted to be on that show. 
Right. Right? And then he sees this shit of them making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Right? So that shit is under his skin. It's probably all he's fucking thinking about. Yeah. And bam, he gets the call. It's not out of the question to think that right. that could be an invention as well. Yeah. One thing that kind of raises a question to me is, okay, so within his fantasy, he's he's at the Murray Franklin show. Yeah. And so he's he's coming up with everything that's in that in in his mind in that scene. Within that scene, um Murray tells the joke about the super rats. You yeah. know, like, you know, the mayor has decided like a solution to this super cats. Yeah. And everyone laughs. And it makes me think like through using the fantasy, did the Joker come up with an actual real joke that's not sick or dark? Oh, like like even it, the dialogue it yeah, just was like imagined. Written like the the things that he wanted to hear. Well, maybe not though. Maybe because he's not just in his bedroom with the lights off when he thinks of a Murray Franklin show. He actually begins by watching it. Mm-hmm. So you could argue that that is actually the part of the monologue before he's like inserted himself. Could there, be. It could you know? just yeah. You that's know, right. Because that's what was he, happening at the could, time. Yeah. Because he's he's watching the show and then just picturing himself in the audience. It, yeah. It could and just be it him like kind of absorbing absorbing the things like you know like writing the notes like maybe because when he's exactly. writing, he's sitting in the comedy club he's like yeah. what does he say like uh, the sex jokes yeah, always funny. Sex you know? jokes always funny. Yeah. So like he's just sort of absorbing that and and just regurgitating that yeah. in his fantasy. Okay. Now that, that does make more sense. Randall. Obviously, he gives him the gun, but when he gives him the gun, he does this weird, creepy thing. Hmm. Did you pick up on it? Uh-uh. You know, instantly, Arthur's like, I'm not supposed to have this. You know, he's like, oh, don't worry about it. I won't tell anyone. I know you're good for it. You're, yeah. you're my little buddy. Or like, he says something really odd. It established, like, a power dynamic. It had some weird implication that there was more to... Mm. That murder, than, than just like you having than that, just getting him, oh you told them about me or you yeah, know like kind of getting him fired yeah essentially yeah because he kind of turned him he turned on him mm. um, to cover his ass well and maybe like even if you take out all of that stuff within the movie mm-hmm. when he talks to the um, the little person he says you're the only one who was ever nice to me yeah like that almost says like. I mean, there's others, plenty of other things that had to have gone down in the locker room or just like at yeah. work that would imply that that no one else was nice to him, and that could just be like another thing that, like, you know, maybe he doesn't he th- th- what he says is you know cryptic or creepy or weird, just part just, of a, just to establish some other fucking negative context at that place. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. It was one thing that they didn't really dig into very much one thing i do think was kind of interesting about the gun whenever someone would try to accuse him of having the gun like why'd you bring a gun to a to a children's hospital it was a prop it was a prop it's part of my act yeah the gun really is part of his act like <laughs> true the, yeah at the very end of the movie it's that's like true that's kind of all like eventually that's like funny. he replaces this fake clown persona using the gun as part of his act yeah now I want to wrap this up by talking about the end. There's a lot to, lot to digest <clears throat> just in the last 15 minutes. Yeah. I don't know what is to be said about we see him rehearsing his 
televised suicide at home mm-hmm. and we see him rehearsing it in the green room and i believe you know they set you up with that knock knock joke mm-hmm. yeah. which actually reminds me of uh the dark knight again in in the way that uh harvey dent was created in a courtroom by the defendant throwing acid on his face mm. when he's called to the stand so when that guy pulls a gun on him, that's a misdirect for the fans of the comics. Because uh, you see the guy reaching his jacket, and you're like, oh! And it was like, wait, what? And he knocks him out, and you're like, oh, shit, so how's it going to happen? You know? Right. And they do that with his knock-knock joke, because mm-hmm. we saw him practice it, you know, yeah. and he does it. And we're Seems like, like he's going to go right into he, it. And he reaches into his back pocket, and he pulls out the joke book. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. That whole scene is really a moment of like tension. Even after the, I mean, the first time I watched it, I was obviously really tense. The second yeah. time I watched it, I was still kind of tense. Yeah. And, and even like, though I knew it was going to happen. The Dr. Ruth character next yeah. to him. And, and uh, in watching it again, De Niro really gave a great performance mm-hmm. in, you know, the guy wasn't egging him on at all. He wasn't mocking him. You know, in, in the yeah. beginning, sure, they make a, a couple little... Yeah, you know, jabs, but I mean, no, it, nothing bad at all. Yeah, you know, and and he's like, you really think that this is funny? You think this is something? You know, and and he he spoke to him like a human being. Yeah, like you would think a newsman of the seventies would do. Yeah, like and, now you're not, not talking to a murderer. Like he took it on like some moral responsibility. Like, okay, you're gonna do this on my show. Right. Well, let's talk about it then. Yeah. You know, literally all jokes aside. Yeah. So much of that plays out as real it's more so the stuff before and after that make me think that it's Mm -hmm. possibly not but the scene that follows he's in the cop car he's admiring the chaos in the streets yeah and kind of a reversal of the when he's going out with the um the the neighbor uh, when in, in the fantasy and he looks out and he sees the guy in the cop car who has the mask on and yeah. then he has a little smirk on his face now he's in the cop car True. and he's watching all the other shit that's going on true outside. that's a great parallel yeah. i didn't catch that but yeah so he's he's kind of admiring what's happening in the streets which uh you know one could easily believe given the state of gotham you know the garbage strike and the you know the way people reacted to the subway shootings and you know the protests at thomas wayne's mm-hmm. event and you know and all this unrest but then he gets hit with the car and this is where stuff like even first viewing starts to clearly unravel because he is lifeless in the car everyone else is dead they pull him out his lifeless body is tossed on the hood of this car and then as people start to gather around he is now well enough to stand on the hood of a broken car and dance. Yeah. And then notices there's blood coming out of his mouth mm-hmm. and does the smile, right? And the Wayans is the only thing that makes me think there's some realism in this scene because we know that that's canon. But we also know that this movie isn't fucking canon. This movie isn't necessarily that. Yeah. It makes you think, yeah, okay, this is that's happening because you see the guy kill the Waynes in the alleyway. And he utters the same thing that, yeah, that he Arthur repeats, says. Yeah, uh, the, the last thing he said to Murray, which uh, I can't remember You get remember what you line. fucking deserve. Yes, yes, exactly. So there's some symmetry there that's really nice. But his condition... 
after the car crash, that is all hallucinated. I mean, there were a lot of clown people out for the protest that night. We know this. Mm-hmm. And there was also, you know, just kind of riots in the streets. You know, we, we know all that's happening. So it's possible all those people could have been there. Could also just been his fantasy of finally getting all the fucking love yeah. that he was looking for. But if you just think about the accident, his condition, going to the fucking post-kill dance thing, and then the blood is really the indicator to me that He's laying there, he's having this fantasy, oh shit, I'm dying. Mm. You know, blood's coming out of my oh fuck, I'm dying. You yeah. Know? And then making peace with that is the pulling the blood smile on his face, of, on like, happy face. of like accepting like I fucking showed them, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I viewed that as his it's death. Him, yeah, hoping that his death makes more sense than his life. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what the fuck it is. I see. That's how I read it. No, yeah, I didn't think of it that way. But it's a good way to tie in the journal. And I also just noticed, I I was thinking that each of the little needle drop moments might have been emblematic of something. Yeah. I was noticing that. It was like, I was noticing a theme in everything except for the way that they used the song right after the, when he's in the cop car, they used the Cream song. They used White Room. And at first I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm, you know, kind of questioning oh. about that. And oh. then of just a few minutes ago, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Right. White room. And it's just full. Yeah. Okay. Perfect segue. Final scene. Arkham. First thing I noticed as a red flag is actually if you skip the interview portion and go to his uh, little jot down the hallway. Yeah. Right. When I first looked at it, I kind of did a double take because it's panning towards him. It's Mm. pushing in, right? And I'm going, wait, how far away was he from the edge of the frame in the beginning of that shot? Right. Because we see the bloody footprints, right? But we don't see a lead from anything. There's no streak. On the second viewing, I was watching closer, and he has a long stride. Mm -hmm. So it's possible, but I believe that he is just standing in the middle of the frame have you seen The Last Jedi? Yes. Okay, so Luke's force projection of himself, he's the only one who doesn't have red footprints on that fucking planet at the end. Yeah. Because um, of the salt planet or whatever, right? Because right? he wasn't fucking there. Yeah. I did not see that the first time. I saw it the second time. Mm. Now, this one, the first time, I went, fuck, there's no footprints like right behind him, there's no streaking, there's no dripping, there's no nothing, and he was sort of in the middle of the frame. Yeah. Now, as it pans in, they brighten the window at the end of the hallway, and, and they're cranking the exposure here, and he's walking towards the light, yeah. further implying that this dude is dead, and this is some end-of-life hallucination right. shit, right? But then, if you rewind to, the, um, to that, that interview moments before, he doesn't have green hair. Mm-hmm. No he, makeup, nothing. He is in a white room in a white facility much like in his first interview with a social worker uh he said i think i was happier in the hospital yeah and they show for like two seconds him bashing his head against the wall or the window and we see totally white walls and stone Mm -hmm. that's what we see in this final interview it's a different caseworker but she looks very similar now here's (laughs) (laughs) There's <laughs> the conspiracy shit. Now, the clock 
I've seen screenshots. Mm. <clears throat> and Kevin McCarthy brought this up, too, when he interviewed both Joaquin and Todd Phillips. He's like, yeah, notice there's a couple clocks in the movie that are set at the same time. He's like, what's the 11-11 thing? Does that signify a comic reference or anything like that? Yeah. And, you know, Joaquin, like, didn't give a shit. And, and then Todd Phillips was like, I don't, I don't know. It must be a set designer, coincidence, whatever. Played it right. off. But if you're thinking in terms of the whole thing not being real, there's multiple 11-11s, so, like, no time would have passed. He's, like, up in his head, and he's, like, singing the song, and he's like, oh, you wouldn't get it. Makes me just think that this whole shit is some fucking fantasy that he had yeah. during his psych evaluation. Yeah, I was almost... When you were talking about what's real and not real, I was like, what if nothing that you saw before this was real at all yeah and that he just sort of maybe he just sort of became the joker by some happenings that were not even seen throughout the entire movie yeah it's like if you don't want to see a joker origin story you may not have actually seen a joker origin story yeah. you just may have just seen like a whole mind trick that was made you to believe that this is how we got here when reality he's not to be trusted in the way that he tells a story the whole movie's from his point of view yeah you know Maybe it's all just fantasy. And nothing's grounded. I mean, we hear the mom say, that's not true. He wasn't adopted. We see the fucking eight gunshots in the thing, but then we also see the people on the news and in the newspapers that are talking about uh, the shooting on the subway. So we're yeah. taking that, like, well, even if that seemed off, this shows that it was real, right? Because, yeah, this, we're carrying on with the story here. And then you're showing other things that are false. So... Mm -hmm then by process of elimination, these other things must be real. But, I mean, yeah. people have had dreams where I, like, I've had a dream where I had a dream, you know? Or, like, you you know, there there are so many levels, you know? It's like some Inception shit almost Yeah. Um, if you really want to get down to it. And that's why it's such an, a really great, interesting script. You could read the obvious hallucinations and the rest is true. You could read... None of it's true. You could read that all of it's true up until the car crash, which is what I first thought when I watched it the first time. Mm. But at this point, I'm really left to think that this is just some sad dude's revenge fantasy. Mm. This could be some guy in his jail cell talking to his cellmate going like, oh, yeah, but you know what I did to get in here, yeah. you know? And just, it's like almost got him in uh, the animated series. They have all the villains sitting around a poker table uh -huh. telling their story of where they almost got Batman. You know, this could just be his like, oh man, you want to know how I got in here? Who knows? Yeah. One stretch that I kind of can think of is how, you know how in, I think in between the line, when he says like, I was just laughing at a joke, you know, can I, can I tell it? You wouldn't get it. I think in between that, they cut to Bruce and his parents there on the yes, ground. Yes, they do. Almost telling you, like, maybe that's the only thing that is true about any of this, is that, like, the entire thing that we already kind of know happened, we don't see the person who shot them in that shot. All we see the is map. just, like, that iconic image of Bruce Wayne with his dead parents in the alley. Maybe this is not even... This isn't even origin Joker. This is, like, Batman is already, like, a thing Joker. Yeah. And he's like, you know... I was thinking of a joke, the joke being how he was able to motivate the actions that led to uh, the, Wayne's, uh, the Wayne's killing. And yeah, that, like, I mean, that is being sort of a sign. I was I thinking know. something else, because under the premise that this is in his head, 
he has a personal grudge against Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm. So that could easily be a projection of his fantasy that, you know, that the Waynes were killed and uh, that that didn't actually happen. That's what he wanted to happen. Right. You know, the other thing, uh, if you wanted to really take that to ridiculous territory, just for the sake of argument, yeah. you know, you could even fathom that because the Joker has always been obsessed with Batman. I mean, mm-hmm. like if you look at uh, like that book by Sean Murphy, White Knight, uh, the premise of it, like Joker and Harley break up because he's too obsessed with Batman, mm-hmm. you know, and many incarnations, they're like that, you know, like uh, you said uh, before, a crime has no punchline without Batman, you know. So if the Wayne's murder is his projection, his fantasy, then in this Elseworlds tale, you could even stretch it to say that the existence of Batman and their whole playoff back yeah. and forth Tom and Jerry routine forever is just, you know, him, his jail cell fantasy, you know, if you really wanted to stretch it since he's always had that obsessive quality, probably not, but I'm just saying like, it's, it's a fun thought. This is why I love these kind of movies. Cause you could walk out yeah. there going, well, Hmm, I just pulled this out of my ass. That could even be, ha- well, how about that one? Well, that's the beauty you know? of that's the beauty of talking about movies. You could pull anything out of your ass. Yeah, no one's gonna tell you like you're right, you're wrong. It's like I'm sure is- after this, someone's gonna tell me you're fucking wrong. But <laughs> I just thought this was a, a a good opportunity to shoot the shit on something that I I wish that had like you know come out when you're in high school and like. Four, your friends go to see it, and you yeah. all hang out and talk about it afterward. And I didn't really get that chance, and I wasn't going to do it all in the comments of other people's threads. And I didn't want to write some dissertation, so I thought it'd be really fun just to talk it out and see where we land. And yeah, that was fun, man. Oh yeah, it was super. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening to this kind of random, offbeat movie episode. Go check out the film and keep some of these thoughts in mind. I think the greatest thing about it is that there are no easy answers and it's fun to just kind of uh, try to make your own sense of what story you actually just watched. Even as I was editing it, I came up with other similarities and new thoughts. Uh, Listening to the end conversation, the fact that he's in the white room, it made me think, well, maybe this is how he got to the white room that they showed in that earlier cutaway you know since it's clearly not the dingy arkham we saw when he went to get the records you know maybe maybe this is how he got there in the first place because we never saw he just said i think i was happier in the hospital and they show him for two seconds or something in the hospital and then at the end he's in a very very similar place so you know this could just be his own crazy memories version of how he wound up there earlier who knows i don't know but it was a really good time to talk it out next week we're going to be back to normal i've got trevor riley from a wilhelm scream one of my absolute favorite bands i just dropped a new video featuring b dolan it's called buckshot if you haven't seen it please go to video.take92.com or you can look it up on youtube that's buckshot Sammy Warmhands and B. Dolan. I hit bad timing with this one, and uh, nobody has really uh, seen it. So help me out with your shares. As always, subscribe to the show, 
and I'm going to go fuck myself and get the fuck out of your hair. Thanks, Brian. That's life. 